morning. How are you guys? How are the rest of you? <laughs> Works every time. Works every time. Um, my name is Dylan Meyer. I'm the youth pastor here at Westview, um, and I'm excited. I'm excited that we can step into what God has for us today. Um, with that, there's a few announcements I want to make. Um, there is coming up on October 23rd an opportunity for you to have pizza with the pastors. Um, don't worry, there will be other people there, um, like the other pastors, the cooler ones. Um, they'll be there, and so uh, that is going to be in room 131. At the same time, but a separate thing, um, is there's an opportunity for young adults. Um, that would be 18 to 25-ish, give or take. Um, if you are an adult, but you're uncomfortable with being adult, that's probably you. Um, and so you guys have an opportunity to fellowship with each other and meet with a pastor as well. That'll be happening at the same time, same pizza, different room. Does that make sense? Nice. Awesome. Okay. And then there's another opportunity. There's a new group called Growth Paths getting started here um, coming up soon. And so feel free to look into that. Um, if you're new to Westview, if you're new to faith, or if you're experienced in both, um, that would be a good opportunity for you to look at to see how we can move together um, towards Jesus. So, like I said, my name is Dylan, and I want to give you an opportunity to learn a lesson that I've been slowly learning for a very long time. Um, so I'm just going to invite you into this space. The thing that I've been learning is that what you wear says something about you. I started learning this uh, when I was in kindergarten or first grade. I had these super cool Spider-Man light-up shoes. And I wanted them to say something about me. Because when they light up, it makes you faster, proven fact. Um, and so I wanted people to know that I was fast. I wanted people to know that I was just like Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man, which is very perplexing because I also hate spiders. So that's the tension of my life. I'm, I'm growing through it. Um, but I loved those shoes, and I wore them constantly until they were so beaten up that they were primarily made of duct tape. Um, and then I continued to wear them because I loved them so much. Um, then I stepped into a new season of life, and so I was doing much more hands-on work on the farm um, that I grew up on, and so Spider-Man shoes didn't exactly make the cut. When you're building fence, when you're cleaning out horse stalls and things like that, you need shoes that, that fit the bill. And so I started wearing boots, um, cowboy boots, muck boots, uh, but it was also very hot in the summer, and so I was wearing boots and shorts. And what that told me about myself was, um, this doesn't go together, but it functions well. Um, and so that's that stage of life for me, was figuring out, this is going to work, uh, but it's not presentable. And I was okay with that. I really was. But then that led me into a new space where I was stepping in as a senior in high school, um, and all of my teachers were talking to me about this opportunity they had coming up. I say opportunity. It was an assignment, um, so it was required, unfortunately. But it was a mock interview, and so they pulled in people that would be potential future interviewees, which was really trippy for me. So one of the people that was interviewing me, because I was telling my teachers, I want to go into pastoral ministry, was the lead pastor from my church. Super intimidating. But they told me, first impressions make a big difference. And so when you're stepping into an interview, you want to dress for success. And they were talking to me about what you wear, the way that you act, how firm your handshake is, all of these different things. And I was like, my goodness, that's a lot. But when I came, I dressed for success. I dressed to the nines, and by that I mean like eight and a half, um, because I didn't have all that. And so I was wearing a tie, 
in a vest. I was pretty snazzy. I'm biased, but I was pretty snazzy. And so that was a new stage of my life, learning what it's like to present myself in a, in a reasonable fashion. But it didn't last long because then I moved to college, and um, that was kind of the first time in my life that I was 100% responsible for doing my laundry. And so I pretty much wore whatever was clean-ish. And so it's a very desperate time in my life, and I think that that is what was portrayed by what I wore, is that I was desperate for someone to help me do my laundry. And that led me to where I am today, which, to be totally honest with you, I've learned a lot in just the last few years of marriage, but basically what happens is I wear what's agreed upon. Um, I wear what my wife and I can agree is acceptable and presentable. And thank goodness, she has taught me so many things about what fashion is and is not. Um, and luckily, um, our baby woke her up this morning right before I left, and so this is approved. Um, what you wear says something about you. The way that you portray yourself, the way that you would like to be portrayed, it demonstrates what you do. It demonstrates what you're comfortable in. It demonstrates who you are. I was pondering this a minute ago and I realized that I'm about to step into even a new stage. Um, so my wife is very pregnant. We're due in November and we're bursting at the seams um, with all of the panic, knowing that we're going to be solely responsible for stewarding a blessing, which is phenomenal. And I'm so excited for what it's going to be like. <sighs> Sorry. To dress my child into who God wants them to be. To portray them as a child of light. And so I just... <sighs> I want you guys to consider with me what would it look like today if we stopped? And we let God dress us. What if we let our Father portray who He desired us to be? Because I think this is what we would see. I think we would be dressed in a way that it portrayed that we were spiritually blessed. I think we would be dressed in a way that portrayed that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. That we were redeemed by the blood of Christ. That we were adopted into the family of God. That we had obtained an inheritance of the kingdom. That we would hear the word of truth and believe it. That we would be sealed with the Holy Spirit. That we would be a body, this church that is filled as a vessel. Knowing that we were once dead, but now because of a God who is so loving and rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. When people would look at us, they, were, they would see that we are seated with Christ, that we are made one with Christ, that we are blessed with wisdom and strength, that we, may, we would understand all of God's love, that we would be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love, that we would be walking in love and filled with the Spirit, that we would be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. What would it look like if God dressed us? We see this in Ephesians chapter 6, which is where we're going to be hanging out today. We're going to start in verse 10. 
Paul begins this way. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, there's a real enemy, and there's a real battlefield, and there's a real struggle that we get dressed for every morning. What would it look like if we let God dress us for that space? That we would look, represent, portray, and do and be ready to do all of the things that he has spoken over us. Because there's an enemy and his schemes are of deception and destruction. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there is a very real present darkness. Watch the news. But God wants us to be aware of who we are in him. If we were clothed in Christ, would we not look different from that darkness? Put on the whole armor of God. Because the enemy knows what we're capable of. He knows what happens when we are clothed in Christ and we are stepping in the movement and we are moving with Jesus on this journey. He knows what we're capable of. And so it is his every motive to destroy that, to deceive that, to present something to us that is not us. And wouldn't it be a waste? Wouldn't it be a shame if the enemy was the only one that knew what we were capable of? That that would never sink into our minds or our hearts that we're capable of so much when we're clothed in Christ. That when we're moving with him, we would make the enemy shake and tremble. Would it not be the worst thing ever if the enemy was the only one that knew that? Because we are capable in Christ, in the strength of his mind, not in our own. Which is a place I find myself daily doing what only Dylan can do. What does it look like when we step onto that battlefield with the strength of God's might, not mine? That we would put on the full armor of God so we would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And sometimes we do a really good job of standing, but we stand in the wrong spot. You see, sometimes we spend our time, energy, and effort slashing and slicing through society while the enemy hides behind someone God deeply cares for. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the enemy. We are called to wage a war on sin with a God who deeply loves the sinner. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you would be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, 
having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See, Paul, when he's writing this letter, is in prison in Rome. He's writing this letter to the Ephesian church. He loves them. He spent a lot of time with them, more than he spent with a lot of the other churches physically. And he's writing to them in prison in Rome. And so he's seeing Roman guards, Roman soldiers on a, on a regular basis. And so he sees this and be, he begins to pick apart what would it look like if we were ready for a spiritual battle? Would we have armor that looked like this? And so he begins to pick that apart and describe it. But something I love is God does such an amazing way of using different authors in Scripture to repeat the same thing. Because when you're like me and you're hard-headed, sometimes you don't get it on the first time. And so he says it again in a different way. He says it again in a different way. And I love this because Paul, when he speaks of the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, he's speaking of a prophecy spoken by Isaiah, describing the Messianic king, describing what Jesus would look like when he came for us. And then again, in, in his letter to the Romans, he talks about what it would look like for us to be clothed in Christ. That we would be wrapped in new garments that looked like Jesus. And so Paul is just repeating over and over again the same message, that we're supposed to look like how, how Jesus looks when he came in flesh. That's our goal. That's our, our example. That's the movement. And so he describes that again and again. And in this way... He begins with a belt of truth. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, because the truth is what sets us free. And that is what we hang on. For a Roman soldier, that belt held up everything. The breastplate of righteousness was resting on that. The sword was attached to that. Everything hung on the belt. And the same for us. Everything hangs on the truth that we cling to. That truth is the true story of a covenant between us and God that he promised to care for us and to redeem us as we step into that space with him. Everything hangs on the truth. We are secure in the truth of his covenant, his promise. Good news. God always keeps his promise. And we need to cling to that because the enemy, enemy's primary weapon is deception. The best thing that he does is to take something and twist it. Cling to the belt of truth. Then he continues. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, I think this is beautiful because the breastplate covered the heart. This is where all the good stuff is. When it gets poked, stabbed, yanked, smashed, bad stuff happens. And it's the same with us. Our heart is described in Scripture as the center of who we are, is where everything good comes from. 
it can be deceived, we must guard our hearts. You see, because righteousness is just a $5 word for in right relationship with God. So everything that we do that puts us in right relationship with God must begin and end with our heart. Guard our heart. Center our heart on Christ because he makes us right. And as for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness. Are you ready to share the gospel? Are you ready to experience the gospel? I think those things have to go hand in hand. When I think of readiness, I think of fervor. I think of passion. I think of bursting at the seams. And the only way we burst at the seams with the gospel is if it's in us that it would come out. And I want to encourage you, your testimony is also for you. You see, your testimony brings peace to those around you because they see what God has done for you what he has done in you, and how he continues to be with you. But there are lots and lots of days when we feel like we are just clinging to hope. What if we looked at our testimony as a gospel with us to us? God meets us in our story. He redeems us. And he moves us through that space. And on days when it's tough, when, it, when there's days that we feel far from him, we can look back and know that when we were in the valley, he was there. When we were on the mountain, he was there. Everywhere in between, because of the testimony that we have of our lives, we know that God is clinging to us as we are clinging to him. That brings In all circumstances, take up a shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Shield of faith. Faith is not just seeing the truth, but believing it. Not just knowing it, but impressing it upon our hearts. Truth is worthless if you don't believe it. The gospel, the truth, the salvation that we have in Christ is accomplished through faith. God has done all that is required. But if we choose not to believe it, it is yet out of reach. Arrows penetrate unbelief. Our faith is our protection. take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God I love this when I was reading this this week um, I was diving into how Paul writes this and in each circumstance when he talks of the other pieces of the armor he says things like take up he says things like put on when he gets to the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit it shifts it is no longer put on it is take as in receive. We can pick up truth. 
we can cling to faith. A helmet of salvation and the blessing, the sword of the Spirit can only come from Him. It is something that is a gift from Him, a revelation of Him. It is something that we must receive and accept, which establishes the source. Salvation is from Christ alone, through Christ alone. But when we press that upon our head, it gives us a confidence of what he has accomplished. And that is so freeing. Can you imagine what life is like with a confidence that no longer requires us to earn something that he's already freely given us? That we would know in confidence that we have salvation because of what he has established, not what we're doing. That doesn't take us off the hook. Dallas Willard, a really smart guy, said that grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. And so we have confidence of our salvation because our grace is a gift. And so there is nothing that we can do to earn it. That would be in vain, to say the least. But when we apply effort to move with it, oh, how sweet it is. A helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love that Paul partners these things because the Word of God is beautiful. The Word of God interpreted and guided with us by the Spirit is beautiful and irreplaceable. See, it is the Spirit that moves in us that interprets God's truth to us. That is the revelation of the mystery. Everything that we are unable to understand in ourselves, God can explain to us. I love that he puts things on the bottom shelf for me. And it says that the scriptures are useful for all things. He, Paul writes this to a letter to Timothy, his, his good young buddy, and says that scripture is useful for teaching, for reproof, for rebuking, for raising people up in righteousness. He says that scripture is so good and so useful. But again, I think it's important that it's partnered in the Spirit. I think the sword of the Spirit ought to be drawn by the Spirit and used within the discernment of the Spirit. I would much rather his discernment than my decision. And I think sometimes we get all excited about wielding something of such power. And we start to use it for what we would like to accomplish. And I think there is such a responsibility that comes with Scripture, that we would use it appropriately, that we would use God's Word by God's means for His purpose. And it brings me back to what Paul's saying with these Roman soldiers, is that their armor is best used when they're working together in unison. Their armor is great by themselves, but it's used best when they're together. And so when I think specifically of the sword, the thing is sharp, the thing is dangerous, and it's effective. But I'm thinking to my brother beside me, my sister beside me, watch where you point that thing. 
that you would allow the Spirit to draw that and to use that within His will, His conviction. That we would use it to draw people to the table rather than cut them at the knee. I imagine that when Paul's describing this armor, it's something that he clings to. I doubt that there was a day that a Roman soldier went on the battlefield without armor and felt prepared. How often do we step into the battlefield of our life without being clothed in Christ? Do we feel prepared? Or should we not cling to that? Do we believe that we need it? Then Paul continues. He says in 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Love that for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I don't think that Paul tacked prayer onto the end because it was less important than the other things. I think Paul tacked it on the end because it's something that we should do inside of everything. I think prayer is our discernment on how to use every piece of this armor. I don't think it's tacked on the end, and especially not in saying pray at all times, that it would be any less important. We breathe at all times. Does that make breath any less important? I think it is to to be done unceasingly. That our communication with God would guide our step, our every breath. Communication is the foundation of every relationship. doesn't work without it. Our communication with God needs to be unceasing. In the good, the bad, the ugly. I think that is the moments when Satan does a really good job of tempting us to retreat. When we wake up feeling ugly, we run from it. There's this, this sense of us feeling unworthy when we come to God with brokenness, but that's exactly what he desires. You see, when we move away from him, we're also moving away the opportunity for him to meet us in that and heal it. In moments of depression, I retreat from him because what I have to offer is worthless, or at least that's how I feel. Yet consistently, the only thing that pulls me out of that is his presence. Keep alert and lift up those that are the saints. Saints are holy people. Holy is set apart. That is something that God has intended for all people, that all people would be holy and set apart. The armor is designed for the church. The church designed to be one body. We are designed to lift each other up. Armor best used together. 
my shield is great, my shield in the next four guys is even better. So should we not fight shoulder to shoulder rather than step on one another, reach down and lift each other up? Lift up in prayer those who are set apart. And lift up Paul that he would boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I love when he says this. To Paul, the mystery of the gospel is that Gentiles are included. In a time when Jews thought that they had the whole thing just for them, this mystery is that God loves everybody. We've been singing this since we were kids. Jesus loves me. doesn't matter what me is, who me is, Jesus loves me. This is not a mystery, but it's beautiful. And sometimes we don't get it, but when God reveals in truth, all of a sudden it becomes very clear and incredibly obvious. The gospel this salvation, this armor is for all people. And then Paul continues that he's an ambassador in chains. I love this testimony from him that even when things are difficult, he's still doing what he ought to do. Even when things are awful, he's still armored up. He's still lifting up those, even though he can't FaceTime call them, he makes an effort to write letters, to encourage other churches that even when he's in awful circumstances, he's still moving in step with the Spirit. And this is an issue for me because when I'm uncomfortable, I get irritable. When I get irritable, I'm a sour person to be around. I do a very poor job of lifting others up when I'm uncomfortable. What would our lives look like when we were uncomfortable if we loved and lifted each other up in prayer anyway? If we moved away from gossip and moved into inviting people into the gospel. That when we're uncomfortable and irritable, instead of being tempted to be a partner of destruction, we would be a helper in healing. This is what is required to be one. If we are to be one body if we are to be accountable to one another, that we would point and guide and journey with one another in a productive manner, that we would pray for each other and with each other, that we would sharpen each other, that we would grow, protect, defend, and love one another well, we must be one in Christ. We must clothe ourselves and each other in Christ with everything that we do. That it would be something that we do first thing in the morning as if we were getting dressed that we would be dressed by the father because this has all been accomplished through what Christ has done but we must accept that consistently God wants us to stand with him he wants us to stand against the enemy. He wants to stand in armor. He wants us to stand clothed in him, with him, journeying beside him. But there's times when we're tired. There's times when we're beaten up by the battle. There's times when we're bloody and nasty. Or maybe some of us have never accepted that invitation to move toward the table, to move to the presence of Christ. You see, there's moments 
when the battlefield is ugly and the enemy is claiming victory on our ground. But it is at the table in the presence of Christ that he washes us clean. That he would be here and claim victory in our lives and to fulfill what he has already done. Some of us wake up and we're dressed for ourselves. Some of us wake up and we're dressed for another person. Some of us wake up and we don't even know what to put on because the panic, the anxiety, the struggle is blinding. When we come to the table, Jesus has the opportunity to take off what is old and to clothe us anew, to take off the old garments, to take off the old life, to shatter the broken vessel and rebuild us as he designed us to be, that we would be washed clean and right standing with God, armored up to walk beside him. That is what it means to come to the table, what it means to encounter the presence of Christ that we would move toward him. And so my question for you is what's standing in the way? Are you wearing armor that doesn't fit? I love the imagery of, of David and Saul, two Old Testament kings. David's preparing for, for a battle against the giant. And I know you have giants because I have giants. And he goes to Saul and Saul gives him Saul's armor and it's heavy, and it's clunky, and he has zero experience with it, and it doesn't fit. And so he goes with what God gave him. He goes with a sling that God has allowed him to use for years. He gives him five smooth stones, four for backup, because one did just fine. And God said, wear the armor that fits. Wear the armor that I designed you to have. What are you bringing in here that does not fit you? What sin is in your life that doesn't belong there? What broken relationship in your life needs mending? What does God need to be present in today? Because we all have darkness. The light only gets in one way. We're going to move into the battlefield. And I would encourage you, if God has it on your heart, move toward the table. That you would be washed clean and dressed anew in the love of the Father. And leave anything behind that just doesn't fit. Paul begins and closes most of his letters in the same way. He greets people with grace and peace. And then he goes to work on them. And, and he starts high and he moves to their heart and, and he cloaks it in prayer. Just like he did in Ephesians, praying that they would understand, praying that they would be moved by the Spirit. And he, he thanks God for them. And then he often closes with kind of a broad scope view of how God is moving in the whole kingdom, not just there. And so in, in this closing greeting in, in Ephesians, he talks about how he sends someone 
that he loves, a, a faithful minister and brother to the church in Ephesus to encourage them. And this is a little cheesy, but well done, Westview. I think we did a good job of sending Pastor Brian today to Hope United to encourage the kingdom, not just Westview. And so let's follow suit as Paul did, and let's pray over them. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the victory that you're claiming here, and thank you for the victory that you're claiming in Kansas City. That you would claim victory not just here, in Manhattan, but in all of Kansas, and that it would grow further than we can even imagine. Because you are powerful and you are present, and we know that that is the gospel that preaches, it's the gospel that speaks, it's the gospel that encourages. So thank you, Jesus, for that, that you're moving everywhere. Jesus, claim victory everywhere. Especially today, we lift up Pastor York Clark, that you would pour out your spirit on him, that he would guide Hope United, and that he would discern in your spirit where they ought to go and whom they ought to reach, that they would claim victory for you in your name. Jesus, we thank you for Hope United. We thank you for your love for all people, that the mystery of the gospel is not mysterious any longer. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This is Paul Word's Paul's words to you. Peace be with you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an uncorruptible love. Thank you, Jesus. Have a good week.